Good morning, everybody. Man, it's been a wonderful Sunday already. So glad you guys are here. Thanks for making this special. Um, excited about this morning. Um, I Coming off last Sunday, if you're here at 1030, uh, I realized that my wife is not the only one that can have a good uh, 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 hot flash. So I'm ready today. I got water. I got a better handkerchief. Um, I, I'm ready to work. Um, I, I would love to... Before we get into this next passage in Matthew 22, I would love to kind of just thank you for your generosity. I wanted to give you an update on just how the church has kind of moved from the end of last year into this year. And, and part of that is just a, a recognition of just how generous this church has been. Uh, one of the questions that we'll ask from time to time and just our thoughts about discipleship is, am I a more generous person this year than I was last year? That there should be this kind of growing quality of, of openness, of offering, of sacrifice that happens within the disciples' life. And so we're always kind of looking and evaluating our lives when it comes to time and talent and finances and all those things like is my life moving outward is am I am I becoming a, a better steward of the things that God has brought into my life and I would just say like River Tree has done that in such a beautiful way and particularly in just tithes and general offerings and so last year just to give you just a quick quick few numbers last year our, our overall ministry budget was about 3.7 million dollars that we had said like this is what we want to spend and then through the course of the year and especially towards the end of the year with end of the year offerings that were really special and unique, uh, the church gave uh, more towards um, $4.6 million. So that, that gap is something that our leadership team looks back and is like, oh my goodness, like how, how incredible that the body is giving in such a way, kind of over and beyond even what we're kind of thinking about ministry. So what that's done is that's done a couple things for us. One, it's given us a chance to go like, yes, we want to finish a couple projects that we've been thinking about for a while. One is the sport court here at Cove that's going to help with the student ministry. Uh, a couple things for the downtown campus. We want to uh, restripe uh, the Westmoreland parking lot. If you've ever been to the downtown uh, campus, it needs some help. And it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a prayerful um, uh, endeavor. Anybody parking on the west side of, of the downtown campus, we want to restripe that. And then we're also setting aside money so that we can launch uh, the tree school ministry that's been here at Cove and been such a, a special ministry. Uh, we, we've set aside money so so that that can also be a future launch at the downtown campus. All that to say, that still leaves, um, our, our leadership team has still set aside a million dollars to put in reserve and to put in savings for whatever God may lead in the future. And so that, that money is money that, that, that you've given. That, that money is money that you have sent to River Tree and said, like, keep the ministry going, keep, keep doing the, the work. And so we don't know what that means. I would just say, like, capacity issues are being experienced in every area of ministry, from worship, where we're setting out chairs every Sunday, to children's ministry, student ministry. Uh, there are like 100 uh, kids in River Rock right now, and that's like wall-to-wall -wall kids. It's like standing room only. It's like a sold out show uh, every Sunday. Uh, and that's like in every area. And so like we're asking the big questions, Lord, or, or do we need to build more facilities at Cove or downtown? Is there something in between? Like what's that next step? Do we add more services? We don't know the answer to that. We're having conversations, but we have set aside money already for the future. Um, and I just want to say that's, that's something that I hope that you can get excited about and know that we are thinking and, and planning and, and open to your prayers, open to more conversations as we move forward in that. So Matthew 22 is where I want to pick up this morning in verse 1. 
If you're new with us this morning, if you came just for the baby dedications and, and you're not uh, consistent here, we've been making our way through Matthew's gospel. Uh, and we, we pick up today in our passage in Matthew 22, verse 1 through 14. And Jesus again spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. And while the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them, the king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servant, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in and looked at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So this parable uh, it, it, is, it is the third among the three, right? Uh, Jesus has been in the temple courts. We, we, the context of this, again, is Jesus is in the temple. Uh, he has come into Jerusalem right after the triumphant entry. He has cleansed the temple, turning over the tables of the money changers and stopping the sacrificial cell of you know, an, animals. So he's done all that. And then he's, he shows up the next day in the temple courts and he begins to teach. And the religious leaders come to him with great concern, great irritation, and they ask him the question, by what authority do you say the things that you say? By what authority do you do the things that you do? What, what right do you have? Like, in other words, who put you in charge? Like, that's, what they're, that's what they're asking Jesus. And Jesus hears that challenge of his authority. And, and he begins to tell three stories. And the first story that he tells is about two sons, one obedient, one disobedient. The father asks the sons to go work in the field. One son says, I'll do that, dad, but then doesn't. Another son says, dad, I'm not going to do that, but then does. And Jesus says, which of the two sons did the will of the father? And I'm like, well, the one who said he wouldn't, but actually went. Then Jesus tells a story about wicked tenants and how a landowner entrusted a vineyard to tenants who were there to steward the land, steward the harvest, and how the landowner was expecting to receive the first fruits, a portion of the harvest. But the tenants rejected the messengers that the landowner sent. They killed the messengers. The landowner says, I'll send my son. Surely they'll listen to my son. And the tenants kill the son, wanting the land for themselves, believing that they're the owners of the vineyard. And then Jesus tells this story. It's a story about a wedding, but it is, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot happening in this story. And so I want to look at this one because this is really important part because as Jesus is going to 
kind of as he's sharing these parables, he is revealing something about the heart of the religious leaders. But he's also speaking to us as well. There's something about in the reveal of the religious leaders and what they're struggling with, it also kind of points like, okay, what's happening inside of me? So I want to look at the story in two parts. There's the first part. There's the invitation. The invitation goes out. There's the guest list that adjusts. All right, I want to look at that portion, and then we're going to get to this, what I think, how the story even grows in interest. What do we do with this guy that's not wearing the appropriate clothes? He's not wearing a wedding garment. So Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who throws a wedding banquet. And I just, that's important for us to understand because often Jesus will use that very same idea. He'll talk about how the kingdom of God and then he'll tell a story. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. And in this situation, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a banquet. And the kingdom of God is more than just kind of what heaven is like when you die. The kingdom of God is like, what is heaven like when it is worked out in our lives? What is it, what's, that, what's heaven look like when it, when it begins to be expressed here on earth? And so Jesus is the king. And so as, as the king comes, he brings with him his rule. He brings with him his reign. Uh, the, the kingdom of God begins to express the value and the character of the king. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. Now, how amazing is it that Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, it's like a party. It's like a banquet. It's like a feast. Like, how wonderful is that? Like, there's some important qualities for us to realize about the kingdom of God because Jesus says the kingdom of God is going to be a place filled with dancing and eating and laughing and celebration. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. It's like a king who throws a wedding banquet for his son. And I hope that just lands immediately in a place that you need to hear that Christianity, the kingdom of God, it's not meant to be more burdensome. It's not meant to be boring. There is something wonderful about this, life-giving about it. It's meant to be a celebration. We're to experience the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Jesus in our life. When his characters and his values are pushed in and through us, we should celebrate. There should be joy. Right, that, right out of the gate, we see that. So in the parable... The servants are sent to call those that were invited, right? Those that were invited to the wedding. It's, it's a custom not dissimilar to something that, that we also, you know, have within our wedding celebrations. In other words, there, there are two invitations. There's two invitations. And I've got, I grabbed a couple of those off my refrigerator. These are save the date postcards. You, you have some on your refrigerator too. These are wonderful couples who are like, hey, uh, our date is set save this date. And, and as you do, you, you block off the date and they're like, great, they're, they're coming. In other words, all the details have not been arranged, right? There's still things happening, forming, there's taking shape, like, but we just want to like save this date. And this is exactly what the king did. The king sent out through his messengers a save the date invitation to, to this guest list. And they said, we'll come. We'll come. They RSVP'd, we'll be there. When the prince goes through his wedding, we'll be there. And so when the, when the king then sends out these messengers, what he's saying to them is, it's ready. It's time, right? There's, there's things, things have been gathered. Things have been shipped in. Uh, arrangements have been made. 
And so everything seems to be ready. And now the king says, send out the messengers to the guest list and tell them now's the time to come. Now's the time for the party. And the parable says this, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have all been slaughtered and everything is ready. Everything is ready. But then Jesus says, but the guests paid no attention. They paid no attention. The people that had previously said will be there just continued on with their lives. They didn't stop. And, and, and this is, it, it's meant to kind of jar us a little bit because this is a royal wedding. This is the event of a lifetime. Weddings in this culture were, were week-long affairs. You traveled in, you stayed, you, you ate, you saw family and friends for days upon days. And this wedding is a wedding thrown by the king himself. There will be no other wedding like this in your lifetime. And the king sends out the word, it's time. Everything's ready. The table is set. Come and be a part of it. And what happens? One went back to work. Another went to his farm. People just kept doing what they felt was important. And they didn't respond. No response. No one responded. My, my neighborhood growing up may have been like yours. Uh, there were distinct calls for dinner. Um, uh, I, there was one guy, his, his mom had a, a, that triangular bell outside their back door. So when dinner was ready, she would kind of, you know, ring that thing. And he knew I, he, it was time for dinner, needed to go. Uh, I had another buddy whose dad could whistle, like uh, such a piercing whistle. You could hear it, you know, all around the block, no matter where it was. Like when that whistle went off, you know, my, my buddy went home. My dad would just step out the back door, yard and, and yell my name. He would just yell, and three or four houses, backyards away, I could hear him, Ross, and I'd be like, that's, that's my dad, and I would jump on my Huffy Thunder Road bicycle, and I would, I, I would pedal home. It, like, it wasn't a conversation. He'd be like, Ross, and I'm like, what do you want? Like, I, that wasn't the way this worked. Like, when I heard my name, I went home, and in fact, we were all kind of looked out for each other. We're like, hey, I think your dad just called you. Did you hear that? I'm like, my dad called. Like, so then you jump on the, you know, bike, and, and you go home. There was the reason why, the reason why you, you went home when you heard this call is because there was a timeliness to the invitation. If I heard my dad call my name, but I just decided I'll go home in a couple hours, can I tell you what would not be on the dinner table <laughs> waiting for me, right? There would be other things waiting for me, but it wouldn't be dinner. And, and there's, a, there's a, a response is needed when, when the call goes out. Right? When the king calls the guests, he says, I have prepared everything. It's ready. If you're looking for a spiritual principle right now, it's this. When God calls, the only good and right response is an immediate one. It's an immediate one. When God calls, the only good and right response is an immediate one. It is. Listen, it is presumptuous on our part to think that we can respond later. Then we can just finish whatever we were doing. We can just continue with what we feel like is important to us. And that sometime later, we will respond to God. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think you would even want to later? 
Why do, you, why do you think you'd even want to? Right? Who says the meal will still be on the table? And the Bible talks about our lives, and it, it paints a pretty, um, a pretty uh, dire kind of condition. It, it talks about you and I being dead, that we are dead in spiritual trespasses and sins. And, and then for, for God to do a work on us, for something to happen in our life, like there's, a, there's an act of CPR that has to be kind of applied to our chest. I could just imagine for a moment that somebody is applying CPR to a dead person and that dead person wakes up for a moment and says, oh, uh, can you do that later? Like not right now. Like th this, is, this is what's happening in the, in the spirit world. God is sending out this opportunity. The feast is ready. Please come right now. And, and people don't. And the things that people do instead of going to the banquet, they're not evil things. Right? It didn't say they just got all kind of raced off into a pursuit of sin. Like one guy is just working more. Another is just out on the farm. But the opportunity to go to the event of a, life, of a lifetime, the king's banquet, right? It's been lost on them. They're, they're missing, uh, they're, they're, for some reason, this isn't a good enough reason to, to, to go. And the invitation into the banquet feast is not an indefinite one. It, it doesn't just exist forever. There's a timeliness to it. There's a time to respond. There's a movement that we need to cooperate with. And my, my question to you is like, if, if even today there is a pressure that is going to be applied to your chest, if your heart is going to race in a moment, if, if there's something happening inside of you, then my encouragement to you is go with it. Whatever God is drawing you to, whatever he is kind of wooing you into, however he is beginning to speak to you, whatever he's nudging you to, whatever he's revealing to you, like walk in that, say yes to it, go with it. The parable takes a similar turn to the previous one. And in the previous one, the messengers get sent and they're rejected. And eventually the messengers actually get killed in the parable. And sure enough, it happens again here too. That the very messengers of the most amazing wedding party ever thrown are messengers that are killed, seized and killed. And so what's the appropriate response from the king, right? He destroys and burns down the city of these kind of hardened and calloused people. And so the king says next, um, let's make a new guest list. Let's make a new guest list. Anybody ever made a guest list, been part of wedding planning on that level where you've had to um, figure out who's going to come? Because if they're going to eat, right, then there's a price tag. There's a price connected to each guest, right? So it's not necessarily, it's not unlimited space, whatever. Like there's, there's things that you begin to like, okay, so like we've got to invite like immediate family, wedding party, immediate family, right? Then there's these other people that are friends. They're kind of, they're a lot like family. So they're going to come. Then there's this kind of next group there. They're friends that are friends. There's some friends that we have that are a little more like acquaintances. Oh, and there's another group of people that like they are acquaintances, but we don't even like them. And so like, we've got to figure out like, like how do you begin to kind of like tailor down this list? Like, it's really hard. And like, where are they going to sit? because some tables have like significance to them. Like everybody can't sit at that table. That's for a particular trip. And then there's, oh, there's cousin Jimmy. And Jimmy's going to sit at some table and say something inappropriate. And so like, who's going to sit around Jimmy to make sure that like he can have a good time and everybody else is not offended. Like this is like the things that you think about. Like when you're putting together a guest list, who's going to come? And so these are normal considerations, but what does the king do? 
the king tells the messengers, I want you to go out to the intersections. I want you to go out to the main roads and I want you to start bringing in people. In other words, the place that is most busy, uh, traffic, diverse, there. Find people of all different origins, ethnicities, classes, bring them in. Doesn't matter who they are. In fact, we get this really wonderful aspect. The scripture says the messengers gathered and all that they found, they brought in people and everyone, good and bad. Good and bad. So whatever group, right, that first guest list was, landowners and business people, this ain't it. This is an anyone list. Whoever was walking by, good or bad. I love that because it, it reveals the gospel, doesn't it? It's an anyone list. It's a whosoever. And this is what you mean, isn't God isn't stingy with salvation. God invites over and over messengers, over and over invitations. And those who get to come aren't just elite or well accomplished. There will be some of those, but not everybody will be like that. They'll be good and bad. And what you're invited to is to kind of join this party of a lifetime. I mean, it's incredible. A royal wedding banquet. A royal wedding banquet. You've got an invitation. And so you come, good and bad. But, and a response, right? A response is needed. Because the invitation is not indefinite, so a response is needed. And you see people come. And you see people fill the place. Love it. So if that's the first part, right, this invitation that goes out and this guest list that changes, what do we do with this, this second interaction? What do we make of the second part of the story, right? Because here's, it also, it seems as if getting into this wedding banquet, there are no standards. You could be anybody. And yet, here's a guy that shows up that gets kicked out. So, it, at first, it doesn't seem like there's a standard, and now there seems like something's expected. There, there, there's something that's here that seems to be required. If both good and bad people are getting in, how does this guy get rejected? Like, that's, that's a good question to kind of work on. So what's important to know about this king, right, and the wedding garment, and why this man is tied up and thrown into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing? In other words, this guy is thrown into hell. So we need to pay attention to what this is. So... There's a, there's a way in which we kind of get ready for a wedding event. And I, because I have a wife and, and two daughters, I've heard this particular aspect of getting ready and dressed for wedding events through this experience of them being bridesmaids. You know this experience? You get selected to be part of a wedding party. You're a bridesmaid. Everybody's really happy. And then along the way, it gets interesting because then the dress gets suggested and people are like, oh... Like, I'll never wear that again, right? How much am I paying for this one-time dress? Like, like, it's a summer color, I'm a winter. Like, I've heard this, like, over and over. Like, uh, there's, there's this kind of, like, getting ready. And so you, you deal with this, like, I, I've got it, but I have to do this. Because it's a wedding, and everybody's doing it, and this is what's appropriate. And so you, you, you spend the money, and you look appropriately, because it's a wedding. Now, in Jesus' day, it was... Normal. It was more custom in Eastern cultures for whoever was hosting the wedding to actually pay for and provide the wedding garments. 
So that's interesting, right? And this becomes an important part of the story. The parable even hints at it because people are coming right off the street into the banquet, right? Everything's ready. The messengers go out. They gather people from all these intersections, from all these different places and ways of life. They bring them into the banquet hall, right? There's no time. They're right in the middle of it. And so something we get to, like, we, we realize that something is happening, that the king is likely providing the wedding garments for everybody. Jennifer will ask friends, I, I probably hear this, you know, every, every couple of weeks, a text message goes out and her, her question to the girlfriends is to say, what are you wearing tonight? Because we're going to some event, we're going out to dinner and everybody kind of needs to know, like, I don't want to look underdressed. I don't want to look overdressed. I kind of want to kind of bit right in that sweet spot. And so the ladies all figure out kind of what the dress code is. And then they tell the husbands, right? And then we, we kind of try to dress appropriately. I don't want to show up, uh, you know, dressed inappropriately. I don't want to show up to the feast in, in the wrong clothing. And right, so this is, the, this is the consider. So what does the king do? The king dresses them. And we, we also sense this too, because when the king goes to the man and says, why aren't you wearing the wedding garment? He says nothing. If, if I had a good excuse, I'd offer it. If I had a good reason, I, I didn't have a chance to get back home. Like, well, I just forgot it. Like, it got stained. Like, right, he, he offers something. The reason why the man is speechless when the king asks him about why he's not wearing the wedding garment is because he has no excuse. One has been provided. He has chosen just not to wear it. And for the man not to dress in appropriate clothes starts to say something about what he thinks of the event. Imagine you ask me to help you officiate a funeral for a family member and you're waiting at the graveside and I show up in a wet bathing suit and flip-flops, you will have second guessed asking me to help. There's a moment where you see the attire and you're like, does Ross even know what's going on here? Like, is is, is, is this mean something different to him than what it means to all of us? And this is what's happening here. Imagine that. This is the event of a lifetime. This is a royal wedding. The king provides new clothes and he declines. He declines. Charles Spurgeon, famous Baptist pastor from the 1800s, says this. He says, um, listen to what he talks about as he looks. The wedding garment is simply mentioned here as being a test of loyalty to those who came to the marriage feast and as a mode by which rebellion was avowed and loyalty made apparent. Here was a man then who came into the gospel feast and yet refused to comply with the command which related to that feast. He willfully preferred self to God. His heart was full of enmity and pride. He despised the gifts of grace. He scorned the rule of love he stood a defiant rebel, even at the banquet of mercy, which his king had spread. I'll offer you this. This guy is worse. I, this guest is worse than those who rejected the call to begin with. Both of them show rebellion, right? The first guests were invited to come to the wedding of the prince, but they just didn't. They just didn't think it was important. They just didn't come. They just did something else. They, they, they showed their resistance by, by feeling like, by, by viewing it as insignificant. 
This man, however, shows up in the gathering. He's there, right? But he, he doesn't put on the certain garment to be part of the event. He just, he, he doesn't wear it. And he shows his opposition to the king publicly. He actually goes to the event and doesn't, doesn't agree, doesn't join, doesn't take on the wedding garment to honor the king and the specialness of the event. And so he, he publicly rebels, right in the middle of the party, shows his disloyalty. The question is, why did he come? Right? If he had no intention of showing his unity right, with the other guests, if he didn't intend to submit to the king's authority, and I love it, it's because he's seeking a blessing without obedience. Spiritual principle, right, number two. He's seeking, right, blessing without obedience. He's coming because something about this party might benefit him. He's coming because he's, gonna, he's kind of part of the group, but he's not coming there fully submitted to the king. He's not coming there in a way in which he's expressing his loyalty uh, for the celebration and, and what God is doing. How do we show up and not clothe ourselves in what the king has offered? We think that the kingdom of God is built upon merit and not mercy. The man thinks he's good. The man thinks he's okay. You know, because bad people know they're bad. Bad people would walk into a party like this and need to be redressed. Good people don't always know they're bad. Don't always know they have needs. People who are least aware of their need for mercy are the ones who need it most. This guy feels like his resume is good enough. This guy feels like he doesn't have to change. He doesn't, he doesn't have to take on the king's kind of clothing. The king is inviting. The king is paying the price for the wedding, dressing people for the occasion, and the man believes that he's fine as he is. Right? He's received the invitation. He's even in attendance. But he is not amazed. He's not captivated. Right? The thrill, the thrill of being part of this event hasn't, hasn't moved him. To where whatever it is, whatever is right, whatever is good, right? Whatever it is that would honor the king because I've been invited to this. Like it, it hasn't changed him, right? This is, what's, this is what he's missing. He's, he's not there to do whatever would honor the king and his invitation. He doesn't know Isaiah 64, 6 that says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments, the king says, right, I will take anyone, but you can't come in as you are. Right? He's going to clothe you. Anyone can come, but you must be clothed at the door. You come into the banquet knowing that you're unfit. Right? This is part of, you, you come into the banquet knowing you're part of the second group. You're part of that anyone list. And when you do, right, it, 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 there's a humility that comes. There's a sense of reverence that comes to that. You start to realize that, that the king is loving you counter-conditionally. In other words, he's loving you at the cost of himself, at his own expense. He's welcoming you and he's clothing you. The man doesn't get joy. The, the man isn't in awe. The man isn't in, he's not changed because he doesn't hold these two things in tension. That you've been given an unmerited invitation and you now can commune with a holy God who clothes you. Who clothes you at the, 
at, the cost, at a cost to himself. If you would go back, if you remember what Jesus was saying when he just started his ministry, like there was a moment where Jesus grabs scripture and he reads from Isaiah 61, talking about what God would do one day through the Messiah. And when Jesus reads this, he goes, hey, all these things, they're happening now. They're, they're being fulfilled through me. Jesus grabs Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening up prison's doors for those that are in bondage, right? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says that, this is all that that's happening right now. But if you look a little farther in Isaiah 61, verse 10, here's what it says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in, the, in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. What Isaiah is saying is that only God can dress you in the garments of salvation. And he wants to. Only God can clothe you in the righteousness of Christ. And he wants to. And the challenge for us, church, is that like we could receive the invitation, we could have heard the call, we could actually even be present here today, but we have been unchanged. Like we, we haven't been moved. We could take the Lord's Supper, we could be baptized, but we haven't ever just been redressed and realized what we've been invited to. And I think the moment that the king comes into the party and sees everybody is actually the, the climactic moment within that parable. When we look at this guy that's thrown out and thrown into hell as the most significant and scary moment, but it's the king that comes in and sees you and that you see. You know, we have, we have God's word, we have the scriptures, we have prayer and we have service and mission we, we have these, these things that we do, the ordinances and the church. We have these things that, um, that allow us to know God in part. But, but this parable is reminding us of the truth that there'll be a day where you get to see God face to face. As a friend talks to another friend, you, you will see God face to face. And the king is going to come into the banquet hall and, and see you. You, you, you get seen. And what a privilege. What a, what a hope and an expectation that the king will come soon. And, and if you're here, but you're not here in heart, then let something change today. Like see, see the king preparing a banquet for you at the cost of himself as a place where your heart kind of goes from stone to flesh. It starts to beat. Right, that, that you might feel that pressure on your chest just a little bit saying it's time to give your life to Christ. It's time to see who the Lord is. It's time to come under this wonderful rule and reign of God. It's not going to be a burden. It's not going to be boring. It's actually meant to be a celebration. It's going to be something so filled with joy. Don't miss this. The call, the invitation, it's not indefinite. There's a time where God calls each one of us and it says today is the day of salvation. And for some of us, like today's it. Today's a day where we respond to the gospel because their king will come in. We will see the king. 
how do you know if you're dressed appropriately? It's that you let Jesus dress you. You let Jesus redress you. You trust his obedience. You trust his righteousness. You go to the banquet in Christ. There's never been a greater party. There's never been a more important event. And the king has done everything needed to dress you because of what Jesus has done. And when we give all of ourselves to Christ, we get all. If you manage this relationship, if you hold back just a portion of yourself, if you're not completely given and completely surrendered to it in full submission to Christ as the king of your heart, right? You'll get nothing. If you hold anything back, you get nothing. But if you give everything, you get it all. You get it all. And what's waiting on us, church, is a celebration where you get to see the king. You get to see him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to know how to respond. Help us by faith right now to, to, to be able to hear and believe what we have been invited into what's available to us because of Jesus. And it wasn't because of our merit. It wasn't because of our accomplishments or our achievements. It was because of mercy. And when our lives move in response to mercy, we find everything becoming undone and changing. We find all of ourselves wanting to experience mercy in every part, at every level. And so God, let your mercy, let your call, let your grace, let your gospel just begin to touch every part of our lives. And let us respond in the only ways that are right and good. Let us worship, let us be obedient, let us serve, let us live in a way that shows that we've been invited to a wedding that we thought we could never attend because of your grace, at the cost of your son and his sacrifice. God, would you change our hearts this morning? For some in the room, today may be the very first day to respond by saying, I, I trust Jesus with my life. I hear this story and it's doing something in my heart. It's beating, it's, 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 it's new, and I wanna go with it. I wanna just give God all of me. Lord, I pray that you would do that today. Lord, for others, I think there's areas in our lives where we've just forgotten that you're Lord over, that you have something better in mind, that there's something good that you wanna accomplish in, in this area of my life that it's been kind of on the side. And I just pray for each one of us that we would walk in new levels of faith and obedience in order to honor this good thing that you've done for us. Lord, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Let our lives come underneath your reign, your rule in every aspect. Lord, could we pray that right now in our own hearts and our own words? Lord, would you just be the one who reigns and rules? Thank you for what's waiting for us. Thank you for the king that sees, the king that's gonna come in the room and the banquet and the feast that we're going to get to be part of. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.